We love you guys. Um, we want to thank you for joining on Zoom and being and here in person. And we 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 got a number number of people on Zoom there. And so, hello. I will try. Some people told me to um, to try to look at the camera. So I'll try to do a better job of that this week. But um, we're glad that everyone's here, and we look forward. I really um, am hopeful that over the next few months. Um, we're going to be able to live a little bit freer and have a little bit more um, opportunities to see each other. So, but we're grateful that you're on Zoom with us as well. Um, and I just, I just want to say one more thing to the to the writers. I just really felt like the Lord uh, specifically put that put that in my heart. I think that the encouragement I would give you is just to is just to write, just to just to do it. And I don't know. I, I feel like God wants to use our words in worship. So if you're a writer, then just start writing. Um, so last week I shared a little bit about, uh, for me, just some focus. There's like this but Oh, there it is. Thank you. <laughs> Ask and you shall receive. Um, this last week I shared some of the things that for me on Ash Wednesday God was inviting me to think through. I actually wrote down five specific things that God was asking me to walk in some measure of repentance on. And I, I have been um, in a season in the last year, well all of us have been in the COVID, all the things that have happened in the last year have been the craziest year. Um, on top of that, you know, we started a business this last year, and it has been, um, I would say I kind of pride myself, pride myself both in, a, in the good and positive sense of that, on being, being diligent about my rhythms and the life that I have, whether it's, um, whatever it is, whether it's work or working out or spending time with the Lord, and, and, and slowly been, you know, getting back to what feels like a center for me, but it has, it has been such an interesting time of trying to just find rhythm. How many of you have struggled with this? Just, just trying to find rhythm has been very, very strange because our, our rhythms have been disrupted. And, and starting business, um, while has, there's all this amazing opportunity, has been... Uniquely challenging, and just just in this time, we we have a very in-person business, and it's not a very in-person world right now, and so it's just been a it's been a weird season of of life. And one of the things that um, I'm reminded of, which a little bit of a prelude to the message today, is that God is not fixated only on outcomes. He is fixated on us following Him in every step and every part of the process. One of, one of the things that our culture um, in this day and age can tend to think about a lot is outcomes. And um, I think as we will see when we walk through the life of Jesus and Lent and leading up to His death and resurrection is that Jesus often leads and invites us into a way that um, 
doesn't consider, you know, doesn't focus on the on the outcome or the end result in every every moment in time. And so we we have to be in process with him. Um, just to kind of level set and back up and 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 think through what we've been focused on in Lent. There's a there's a couple of key things that we are focused on first is that we are focused on how is God and his kingdom revealed in Jesus Christ. I, I think I've mentioned this, but I've I've asked our staff, I was like, you gotta grade you gotta grade me or um, whoever's sharing every week, not grade, not like actually give us grade, but you gotta tell me if we are focused too much on application and not a much as enough on the unveiling of Jesus. Well I think like series on marriage and business and prayer and on whatever it is are super helpful. It's super helpful for us to learn how to integrate kingdom principles into our life. This is a season where we are focused on the unveiling of God through Christ Jesus. And the story of Jesus is what sets our faith apart. It's what makes it unique from anything. And 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 I, I've spent enough time reading about other religions and other perspectives and other worldviews. And the story of a God who would incarnate himself into our problems, into our existence, and into our weakness is, is the unique thing about our faith. It's what, it's what the, you know, I, I'm old enough to remember, you know, some clotheslines. Like my grandparents still had clotheslines in, in the backyard and, and at their... Um, land that we went to, and sometimes they would hang clothes up on them. And it's like Jesus, the story of God incarnating himself in Christ, is the clothesline that all the clothes hang on in our faith. And so, I think that, like, the church as a whole needs a, rem- needs a reminder, while the whole story of Scripture is is inspired and given to us for God to be able to minister to us, to teach and correct and train us to righteousness. The cornerstone through which our our faith finds its foundation is Christ Jesus crucified and resurrected. And so it's important for us to continually come back to the place of examining the stories of Jesus because it's from that place that we find the unveiling of God's plans through the whole of creation. And Hebrews uh, 12 that I read this last week, it invites us to fix our eyes. To fix our eyes on Jesus. And I, I just want us to, to encourage us that that's the, that's, the way that we're, that's the way we're focused on. In house church, in our kids church, in preaching right now, we are fixing. Everybody say, fix your eyes on Jesus. That's what we're doing. We're fixing our eyes on Jesus. And I love what Matthew 6.22 says. It's, it's, my, it's one of my really top favorites. I say that, I feel like I say that about like half the verses in the Bible, but really one of my favorite scriptures. It says that the eye is the lamp of the body, and if the eyes are healthy, the whole body will be full of light. And so, so our eyes, you know, I love this picture of, of, of the photo, photograph, which I'll be honest, when Ryan came up and reshared, I could only think of Nickelback. But uh, <laughs> but I love the picture of something we can see. Um, uh, this this uh, a picture because 
that's, that's the way it works, is if we, if we can fix our eyes on the picture of Jesus, we don't necessarily have to have an understanding of how everything will play out on our lives. If our eyes can be full of light, then our whole body will be full of light. And so I think what, what oftentimes we try to do in the Christian light is fill our body full of light. We're like, well, I got this thing not working out. I got this thing not working out. I need this thing to work out. And we try to fill our lives with this light or with this wisdom. And yet the invitation is not for us to, to do all those things. It's to look at Jesus. And then as our eyes are, are, as our eye is focused on light, our whole body will be full of light. And, you know, I, I love that, you know, even Revelation 19, you know, when there's this messenger of this profound, this profound angel messenger, and the, you know, John seeks, stops and starts to worship him, and he's like, no, he's like, you don't understand, it's Jesus, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And so, we, we can sometimes tend to worship facets of the kingdom, or worship um, becoming a better Christian or worship doing all these things and not and actually lose sight of the one thing that that actually brings light to our life and that's Jesus. And this the second facet of of what we are focused on during this particular time of Lent is uh, we invited people this last week. If you haven't read these, you can still do this this week. Um, these Bible verses still exist, so it's okay. Um, but we invited people to read Isaiah 58 and Isaiah 61. Isaiah 58 calls us to a fast that is an acceptable fast before the Lord. And Isaiah 58 um, really talks about a people who are seeking God and are trying to figure out why are these prayers I'm praying not working. And God's like, you say you seek me, but you don't take care of those who are hurting. You don't take care of those who don't have food, who are, who are on the outside. And, and, so, and so he invites them to share their food, to share their life, to bring justice to those who have injustice. And so not only in this time are we trying to, to draw our hearts to Jesus, but we're also trying to draw our hearts to where Jesus' heart is. And his heart is for those who aren't, um, who are on the fringes, who are on the outside, who are hurting, who are broken. And so there are going to be some prompts that Andrea, we're going to have a prompt during Lent every week that will, that will incorporate some generous expression of, of God's love out from us. And that's, that's the focus during this time. Um, you know, I, um, the, the, Jesus as as a as a figure if you think about it as a figure in history like in the time that he was at a lot of all of the famous people I feel like in our I was thinking about this in our time most of the famous people in our time are entertainers right they're either athletes or they are actors they're some sort of entertainer but but in that time most of the Figures who had fame were people who were um, kings or warriors or people who conquered things. They, 
They, you know, they went and expanded the territory for the empire. If you think of Alexander the Great, or you think of all the, the different Caesars who came about, they were people who they used some sort of human power and exerted it on others to fulfill some sort of ambition. And Jesus, you know, they, they either had sharp words or a sharp sword or both. And Jesus did not come... He, they, they were trying to improve something, do life better. But I want you to see that Jesus is a figure as a preacher, as a leader, as a man. He did not come to offer some sort of, here's some wisdom to make life better. He didn't offer some like thing that was going to instantly change things, change you know, the oppression that people are in. Change. He didn't offer something that was going to be an overnight deal. He didn't, he didn't offer a self-help book. He didn't start a visible kingdom that we could see. He, what Jesus did was He brought about, He inaugurated in His life and in His death and in His resurrection, He inaugurated a kingdom, a new way which people were to live and to follow. And the, the call of the kingdom is not to integrate Jesus into our lives, but it's to have our lives integrated into the life of Jesus. The, the, the message of the kingdom isn't the thing that when you apply it, makes your life better. It's the thing that you are called to give away your life for. To come into unto all cost, unto you know, all other reasoning. It's an entirely new way. And so when you, we have to understand the absolute revolutionary nature of the message of Jesus. He wasn't coming to you know, put the band-aid on to make things a little better. He came to inaugurate a new and different way. And even in, uh, in, in Jesus' interaction with Pilate, He says, my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is not of this world. And so... That's what we need to remember as we, as we are in, in this time. So I want to read to you from Mark 8, 31-38, which is this week's text in the lectionary. And I love this one because it has Peter rebuking Jesus. The, the uh, very smart thing to do. Um, anyway, let's, let's read this. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. And that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside. Jesus, can we have a little conversation? And he began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan. He said, you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then he called to the crowd, to, he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and says this, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? 
anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in the Father's glory with the holy angels. So, I love this picture of Peter taking Jesus aside to give him a wise talk. It's a very Peter thing to do. Um, But Jesus tells his disciples a few things. He says, I'm going to have to go through great suffering. I'm going to have to be rejected by the religious establishment, by the leaders. And ultimately, I'm going to to have to die. And... And so, you, you have to put yourself into Peter's shoes. Like, he... How many of you have seen the, uh, the Chosen? Any of the Chosen? Highly, highly suggest it. I am one who's very um, apprehensive anytime some new Christian media is put out. I'm going to be honest. like Because a lot of times it's not as good as I'd like it to be. But the Chosen is really, really good. And you have this picture of a man... Peter, who has this way of life that's being disrupted, and so he's giving, he's giving up everything to come follow Jesus. And I think his hope is just like every other you know, Hebrew's hope. His hope is Jesus is going to offer us the path out of this oppression, the path out of this suffering, the path out of this, this death that we're living. And yet Jesus comes and says, Here's the life that's before me. Suffering, rejection, and death. And so that, that starts not to feel very good if, you're, if you've given up everything. And so Peter is interested, he's focused on Jesus establishing his work in Israel. He's focused on Jesus, you know, having a good cup of coffee with the, with the uh, religious leaders, maybe you know, a little Torah discussion, and we can get, we can get to where we need to go. Um, but this is, you have to think, like, Peter signed up for this, and so, like, when Jesus starts talking about these things, he's like, I listen, the healings, the miracles, all that, cool with, but this whole suffering, rejection, and death, I don't know. And so, Peter is rebuked and called, you, he calls him Satan. Like, like, I mean, you know, I, I have a hard time imagining Jesus saying this, but he's like, get behind me, Satan. And but I want you to see this. This is a really important thing. Is that he doesn't get called Satan for stealing or lying or cheating or for some sexual sin that we don't know about. He gets called Satan for wanting to implement God's kingdom through earthly strategy. Jesus rebukes, he comes to rebuke Jesus, and his struggle isn't some egregious thing, it's that he has earthly things on his mind. He's like, Jesus, this isn't the best way to do it, there has to be another way. I I want you to know that God is not interested in us being good boys and girls. That's not the focus. God is interested in us being spirit-led people. He's interested in us being those who trust the Spirit of God and the plan of God and the path of God at every turn. Even when it means 
suffering, rejection, and death. Peter was interested in He was interested in doing the work of God. He was interested in seeing the kingdom expand and seeing it take root and seeing it happen. But Peter imagined it happen in a different way. And and I think about like all the times where somebody was stealing from people or they were a prostitute or whatever it was, Jesus is like, you know what? Stop doing that. Come with me. But when but when people when when he the people that he rebukes the most are those who use this sort of religious, spiritual language to talk about things that aren't God's reality. Like, He is interested in us following His Spirit. And that, that was, it's just interesting to me that all the things that Peter could have gotten in trouble for, he got in trouble for, for this. And Peter had a conception of what fullness or perfection or what completion looked like. Like he had an an idea of what it would look like for his life, like what it would look like for Israel. And how many of you know, like it would be kind of cool to be with the guy if like no, if, if you were kind of a rebel and everybody was persecuting you, but you were with the guy that eventually like got Israel back on top. Got things back, like you're like that gives you some some cred, and so he had a conception of what it would look like, and that was not God's way. And so when we think about the kingdom of God, we have to understand that there's a heavenly way. This is what Jesus says. He says you're you're focused on earthly things, and I have you. I want you focused on heavenly things. Jesus offers. A totally new way. So I have, I have the very cliche thing for you today. I have three points in my sermon and they're all P. They all begin with a P. It's the most, you know, but just so you can remember it. So I, wanna, I want to talk about point one, and I've been talking about it a little bit, is, that, is Jesus' process. So everybody say process. His, his process is submission not control. His process is submission, not control. Now, I, I, um, I hate using a skiing analogy to make a God point, but I'm going to do it. Um, when you, if you, I may have used this analogy recently. Forgive me if I have. But it, when you ski really good, when you learn to ski, you don't, you don't ski really good by taking control of your skis, and by powering down the mountain. You learn to ski well when you, f- when you flow with the movement of the mountain. I know that sounds very weird, uh, but, but it's the way it works. Like if you watch people skiing, there are some people that are like, look like linebackers and they're down here and they're like this, and you end up exhausted and it, it, doesn't, it doesn't work that way. Like you cannot control this thing, you have to kind of flow with it. And how many of you ever tried surfing before? Surfing is the ultimate thing like this. Like if you if you try to muscle your way into it, it just does not happen. Like you you have to this sounds very Bruce Lee, but you have to f- kind of find a way of being one with the water. Like you have to kind of you kind of have to flow with it. And I love that Jesus is carrying the most precious thing in the entirety of the universe. 
Yet he does not feel a need to control the outcomes. He does not feel a need to control the outcomes. Jesus' process is through submission, not control. He submits himself. His process is submitting himself to suffering, rejection, and death. And none of these things seem like glory, honor, power, and authority, which are all the things ascribed to him in Revelation. But in order to accomplish his ultimate mission, he gives himself first into the hands of his Father, and second for approval, and secondly, he gives himself into the hands of sinful men for his own rejection. Look at what Acts 2.23 says. It says, This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. Now I'm going to tell you what the sign that God has no insecurity issues is that he decides that his perfect plan is to submit his own flesh and blood into the hands of sinful men in order for his purposes to be accomplished. Like Jesus is not controlling this process. He's actually walking with the Spirit and with the Father and even yielding Himself over to those who are sinful so that His purposes can be fulfilled. Because Jesus' process is not to try to control everything, but it is in submission. Think about the way this interacts with our lives. Even our lives. How many of you have ever felt like God was trying to control you back into right thinking? Or I mean, How many of you felt that? I've never felt that one time in my life. I've always sensed this, God speaking to me, calling to me when I'm doing something wrong, infirming me when I'm in, in His ways inviting me, wooing me. I have never felt Him controlling me. Because His way, His process is submission. His process is to yield to His Father's will. I want you to look back at the temptation of this last week. When Satan takes Jesus up to see, he takes Him up to a high place to see the kingdoms of the world. He sees all the, all the nations, and, and he offers him, Satan offers him, he said, this has been given to me, and I can give it to you. And he offers him everything. What does he offer him? He offers him the things that are already Jesus' inheritance. Like literally, he says, I'm giving you glory and authority and all these things that Revelation are the, says are the things that are owed to his name. What Satan tempts him with is his own destiny with the wrong process. That's what he offers to him. And we cannot achieve, we cannot achieve, try and achieve godly results through earthly process. It, it does not work. The, the biggest thing that Satan will tempt you with is precisely what you are owed. It's precisely who you're called to be. He, he will tempt you with that which will shortcut the process towards where you're supposed to be, but not through God's process. 
And so Jesus enters into this process and we see this, obviously, I mentioned this this last week, but, but God doesn't push a button, reset, at, you know, after Eve screws up. He, he doesn't do reset button. He, he enters into the process. Even, even sinful man, he enters into this process of connection with man to work with him over time. Um, so look at what he says whenever he rebukes Peter. He says, he called the crowd of disciples and said to them, if any one of you want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it. Those who, want, who lose their life for my sake and for the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Indeed, what can they give in return for their life? I think so often what we do is we take all of the promises of God that we see in Scripture. It's like having peace and having, you know, family that serves God and, you know, uh, like His healing. And we, we, we put these things into, like, outcomes that are about our self-preservation. It's like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to slowly get together all my God things, get my ducks in a row, and we get into a mindset that's about self-preservation. It's about using kingdom principles to preserve myself and make my life a little bit better. But yet the invitation Jesus gives us is not an invitation to self-preservation. It's an invitation to lose our life. Because His process is a process of submission. Jesus is not focused just on demonstrating kingdom outcomes, but kingdom process. Everyone say process. I like there is. I would love for the for business right now just to be the outcomes that I want. But I know there's a process with Jesus to to follow Him and step in everything. Amen. Um, I think it's probably an adjustment that's happening in the body of Christ, or I feel like is happening in the body of Christ at large right now. Maybe you've felt this is this shift towards kind of walking in process with God versus like outcomes. It felt like that it felt like for a while that all of the faith like expression, like the big mighty faith expression was God, you're going to do this thing that I know you need to do. And it sometimes takes more faith to trust God in suffering, rejection and death than to trust God for triumph, breakthrough, and awesome. You know what I mean? And so I, I, I don't mean that God doesn't want to bring breakthrough. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that I think there is a maturing right now in the body of trusting God in the midst of process. And process isn't always, it's not always, so understand, Jesus' life and ministry, it didn't lead to, oh, now, right after he left, everything was good. Actually, you know, it was a couple centuries of total hell for the Christians. Let's just be honest. They died, they were drugged through the street, they were, they were, you know, and so we have a very like vending machine thinking. Like, I put in my time, and that means the last 20 years are going to be awesome, you know. But like, we're a part of a bigger story than only our story. And God has a process. Amen. We, we get to fit into that process wherever it is. So, 
I love what Mother Teresa said in the documentary. She said, she said, you, you get to serve God from your position and I get to serve God from my position. You don't have to be me, but I don't have to be you. Um, second thing that we see here is, is, is power. Everybody say power. Um, power, a re-understanding of power is one of the, I would just say one of the biggest things that I feel like God is, has, has worked in me and my perspective over the last decade. And I would say that Jesus' power is meekness, not dominance. It's meekness, not dominance. This does not, like, typically, this doesn't sit well with my, like, growing up, wanting, you know, like, you're, you're playing sports, it's like, you want to beat the other person, right? You want to, you wanna, amen, <laughs> you want to win, you want to be dominant. But Jesus constantly does things that are starkly opposite of the nature of every other kind of leader or king or ruler. You know, it's like they come to take him and Peter slices off his ear. He heals the guy coming to take him and then he goes with him. It's like, what the heck? Like, you go with the guy after? Anyway, like, but Jesus, he, he, it's hard for us. I've, I've probably said this like 10 times. It's, it's very difficult for us to see how different Jesus' kingdom is. When, he, when Jesus says in Matthew 5.5 5, that the meek will inherit the earth, that the meek will inherit the earth, that is like, it's like saying black is white. Because everything up to that point is that the dominant, the powerful, the strong, the lots of swords, you know, <laughs> those are the people who got the earth, right? Like it was the, you know, the Greeks and, you know, the Babylonians and the Persians and the... And the um, the Romans, you know, the, the people who inherited the earth were the dominant. And Jesus comes, I think we underestimate the profoundness of this one little verse. Jesus comes and says, the meek will inherit the earth. And so Jesus' power is meekness, not dominance. And you cannot, Jesus could not gain kingdom influence, influence through earthly power. Jesus could not gain kingdom influence, earthly power. He, he, when he says, I'm going to be, I'm going to suffer, I'm going to be rejected, and I'm going to be killed by these people, in Peter's mind, he's thinking, these are the people we've got to get out of the way so that we can get the message to a broader number of people. Doesn't that make like logical sense to you? Like we got to figure out a way to get onto this pedestal of influence so that we can have an influence on, over Israel. And then once we have an influence over Israel, then maybe we can have an influence over Rome. And once we're, like that's the way that we think. We think a, a lot in dominance hierarchy. We think that we climb the ladder by exerting force and power and strength. And one of the most marked, unique uh, indicators of Jesus' kingdom is that his power is not through dominance, it's through meekness. It's through meekness. I, I, this, I think I shared this in like a sermon probably a year ago, but your, your greatest obstacle to manifesting kingdom power is not your weakness, it's your strength. Like, we used to have people, and I, I used to weep over this, and I, and, I, and I still do, but like, we used to have people 
uh, come to the altar to, to give down their uh, weakness or their sin or whatever it was. And I thought to me, it thought to me, occurred to me about a year or two ago, that was like, we should have had people coming to leave their strength at the altar. We should have had people come and leave their gift or their talent or whatever that is at the altar. You don't repent of your weakness purely. You repent of your strength. And as, as we try to, like, instead of looking at the light, as we try to integrate the light ourselves, as we try to do all the good godly kingdom things by using earthly process and earthly power, like, it doesn't work. It ends up being like holding sand or water in your hands. What Jesus did was demonstrate the strength of a kingdom by disarming the powers of darkness through humility and love. What Acts tells us, that He gave Himself over to the sinful men. He didn't fight them. He didn't fight being arrested. He didn't try to convince them. He didn't have an argument. Do you know what He did before the Sanhedrin? He sat there in silence and let them hit Him. Do you know what He did when He sat before Pilate, the most influential governing official in the whole land? He, he, he interacted with Him, but he, he barely made a deal about it. He sat there virtually in silence. I, I think that we often think to have influence when we sit in front of the Pilates or the Sanhedrins or whoever it is, we think that that's the place where we've got to get the message out through the, through the platform, through the place, through the, you know, whether it's the political influence or whether it's a business influence or whatever it is, we think that's the way that we can get the kingdom message out. And yet Jesus demonstrates that the kingdom is completely opposite of that. Because His power is meekness. You know what? This is why you cannot gain the power of the Spirit. You can only receive it. You can't go grab it. I love to work out. I actually, I don't think I'm sadistic, but I like the pain of it. Like, I like the pain of it. Like, you know, whenever, whenever it's like at that point of stress that it's like going to failure, I love the failure rap where it's like, yes, I, maybe I'm slightly sadistic, but <laughs> fair, yeah. I, I, uh, but but I, I like it, but you can't get the spirit that way. What, it, what is the magician, when the magician sees the power that the apostles are operating, he's like, I want some of that. And he's like, your heart is not right. You can only receive it because it's a gift for those who are meek, those who are humble, those who are like Jesus, who, who give themselves over to their own enemies. He doesn't try to control the situation. He's just being Jesus all the way through the process. All right. The P's today. There's His process. There's His power. And the last thing I want to mention are His people. His people are the broken people, not the well. His people are the broken people, not those who, let's say, think they are well. 
Jesus had no intent of going to convert the religious leaders. Jesus' focus and intent was not trying to influence Pilate. It wasn't trying to find all those people who had life figured out. Jesus didn't appeal to those people. He didn't try to get the kings, the Sanhedrin. He didn't didn't do any of that. He appealed to tax collectors. He appealed to prostitutes. He appealed to the blue-collar workers of the day. Like he, he didn't go look for the places that are seen. We, you know, we've, we've prayed this prayer like the last six months that we, we turn our eyes to those around us, not to, the, not to the powerful and honored, but to the humbled and broken. Because that's where the kingdom is. And I'm not saying the kingdom is not in all parts of society, but when we are unaware of our own lack, that's like the, that's, that is the, you can have all the brokenness in the world, but the most supreme brokenness is to be unaware of it. You, if you sit there thinking, I've got it figured out, that's, that's the, that's, that's the, really the toughest place to be. And so the kingdom is always with those who feel overwhelmed. Those who feel left out. Those who feel alone. That's Jesus' people, man. Like, you want to talk about who are Jesus' people? It's, those, it's the people who feel overwhelmed. The people who are hurting. The people who feel alone. The people who feel left out. Those are His bros and sisters. Those are His people. His people are the broken. I want to read to you from Isaiah 61. Because He makes His intent clear in the prophetic text. He says, the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me. This is about Jesus. Because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. This is one of my this is awesome right here. It's they will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. I love that God's plans for oaks of righteousness in the field of His kingdom is not the people who have it figured out, but it's the people on the outskirts, it's the people who don't have it, who don't have it together, who are broken, who are hurting. Those are His oaks. His oaks aren't the big powerful people. They're the little people. That's His people. That's His plan to rebuild, to renew, to restore, to revitalize. Is to find the people who are on the outside and raise them up into the fullness of who He has. So if you feel alone, hurt, left out, whatever it is, you're Jesus' people. (laughs) You're His kind of people. And when you see those people around you, when you see the people who feel alone and left out and misplaced and whatever it is, like those are Jesus' people. That's where the influence is. 
I think if we spent less time trying to pander to the powerful people and more time focusing on those who are left out, we would probably do more. The church spent the last year pretty much looking and you know like an idiot arguing about this side of politics or this side of politics and I mean I'm to blame partially like but but I, I think about it and I'm like what did we get out of that what did we what did, what did, where how much further is anything over any of that because God God does his thing through his process not his thing through man's process That is not what He does. He doesn't do His thing through man's process. He has His thing, His process, end of the story. And God invites us into that. He invites us into a process that looks like submission, not control. He invites us into a power that looks like meekness, not dominance. And He invites us to a people that are broken. Not the well. Jesus says as much when he talks to the Pharisees and the woman who was before him, um, who who was at his feet. Um, he says he came for the sick, not the well. I'm going to pray and I'm going to let Andrea come up and share this weekly prompt. God, we just thank you that you are ministering to our hearts. I pray that you would help us to find you in this time. That we find your process, your power, God, your people, Lord. That you would enable us to to see you, to see you at work, God. We won't see ourselves at work, we would see you, God. And I pray that you would more deeply um, integrate us into your presence and into your way. Help us to do that in Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen. Awesome. So um, this week's prompt is very fitting with what Jordan spoke about today. But we are going to kind of start putting some action and feet to some of the things that we've been considering over the past couple of weeks. So two weeks ago, our pre-Lent prompt was to watch the Mother Teresa documentary, kind of to like start opening our eyes and opening our minds and our hearts to the oppressed and the people who are around us who are lonely or isolated. And then this last week's prompt was to read Isaiah 58 and Isaiah 61 and to consider those in our own lives who are oppressed or lonely or forgotten and how we can kind of be involved in their lives. What is the Lord saying to us specifically for the people in our lives and in the world around us? And then this week, we are going to encourage everyone to think of those people who the Lord's been impressing in your heart, just somebody who's lonely, forgotten, uh, isolated, uh, could be an elderly person, could be somebody who's sick, could be just somebody who lives alone, and the Lord just kind of puts them on your heart. Um, We're going to consider those people in our life and then do something for them. So this can look like going and buying them groceries. So 
something tangible. This can look like inviting them to your home and to your table and preparing a meal for them. It can look like a lot of different things. And so there's freedom in this. There's freedom to get creative. There's freedom to pick the person who you want to pick. It doesn't have to look like somebody sick, elderly, lonely, isolated, whatever. There's freedom in this, but just consider that in your life and what um, the Lord would have you do for that person. So that's your prompt this week. Um, we will send this out in email form, and it'll be in all of our communication on social media. Um, so we just hope that you guys will join us in that. Um, go ahead. I, um, one thing I wanted to add to that is that um, it, it could be, I don't want you to hear what I'm saying there and, and misinterpret. There are people who have all of the financial means in the world but are incredibly lonely and incredibly aware of that. Th those fit into the category of broken people. Are, are you with me? There, there, are, there are arrogant people who probably not going to listen to you one way or the other. That's one thing. But there are people who have everything that you could think that they would need and are, that are hurting, alone, and broken. And those also fit in the category of the people Jesus is, is interested in. And so, um, you, you got me. And I, I want us to come and grab the elements and we will go back to our seat. And as you're thinking about communion this week, um, we, we said that we would not make this journey an introspective one, but it would be an outwardly focused one this year. I want you to think um, not as much about Jesus to you, but how Jesus is through you to others. How we share in Christ's body as we are, our hearts are where his heart is. And so that's, that's the thinking this week, if you can grab the elements and come back.